come to me I hear a sound busy like traffic Headed out of this town You seem to bring Hello listeners and welcome to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Sibelle Kaler and this is Office Hours, the show where I bring you all the stories from UCI's research from professors, grad students, and students. Today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Tirtha Banerjee, a professor of environmental and civil engineering who is working on a research project across the UCs to help fight and manage wildfires. Dr. Banerjee, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, so to start off, could you explain for the listeners what the field of environmental engineering entails and what drew you to it initially? Uh, yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, so we are in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering, and so we have different uh, directions in the department. So I am actually more in the direction of water resources and hydrology. So that essentially means the the study of the how water transports in the built system, like cities and uh, you know the, the built environment, and also the natural system like you know land, vegetation, air. So uh, through all of it. So we want to understand as engineers, you know, how different types of disturbances like drought, flooding, fires, how will they change the, or how will they impact the this sort of uh, environment that we are used to living in and what can we do to make them more manageable or prevent them. So yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Interesting. And how did you uh, get involved in this field? Um, so my in, uh, interest was always to uh, study problems that are uh, important for the environment and the nature but I also had an aptitude for the mathematical side of things. So for example, I had my undergraduate degree in uh, civil engineering in India, where I was trying to understand, I was try trying to gain experience in mathematical methods and engineering methods and computational approaches. But on the uh, same time, I was trying to learn about climate change and you know, environmental science in general, but there was not a lot of overlaps in between these two approaches. So these things merged when I uh, came to U.S. for grad school. So I joined Duke University and did my PhD there in the School of Environmental Science. So there I had the opportunity to learn about how to combine these engineering approaches to uh, solve or understand problems that are important to the uh, for environmental aspect or atmospheric science aspect, for example. So uh, this was the beginning of it, in a way. And then when I did my further postdoctoral research in Germany and in came back to USA and further, I joined UCI. So uh, it gave me the opportunity to use engineering skills, computational modeling approaches and experimental approaches that we use to study problems that are relevant to the environment and atmosphere and people. So that right. was, yeah. I was so interested in how you combine those two different fields of, you know, computer science and engineering with environmental science. I think that's <laughs> really interesting. Um, and so wildfires and droughts, of course, have been a drastic problem here in California for the past few years. Uh, what do you believe are some causes that may have led to these increased wildfires that 
California has been having? Yeah, so there are actually many different things, and it's also a geographic problem. Like it changes uh, the main drivers of fires in California. It changes depending on where you are. So if you're in the Sierra Nevada mountains and you have mostly the northern and central California, the east part of it, you have those coniferous forests. And those actually in that region, your fires are mostly, as they call it, uh, fuel-driven fires. So, for example, these regions have seen about like 100 years of successful fire suppression. And that has led to a, a massive accumulation of fuels for fires that shouldn't have been there if the natural fire regime were allowed to happen. So in these cases, the fuel accumulation is the major cause. And then if you are in the western part of the Sierras, like for example, the from the Butte County to the uh, north of San Diego, so then you have more flammable uh, chaparral type or shrub type vegetation. And in those cases, the majority of the fires are actually driven by what they call the wind-driven fires. So the extreme wind events like the Santa Ana winds, and in Northern California, there are similar events like the Santa Anas. So um, they, these are actually responsible for driving these fires. So the fuel doesn't matter much. The ex- winds are so extreme that the fires do propagate anyway. And on top of that, we have uh, so many people moving into California, like one in eight, one out of eight people in the U.S., they actually live in California currently. And since the last 20 years, there have been a massive influx of people in California, and many of the uh, new coming people in California, they're starting to live in the wildland urban interface, as they call it. So it's where there is human structure very close to the flammable vegetation, for example. So that, yeah causes also like a high probability of ignition by different means. And then on top of that, we have climate change and we have signals from you know, drought that leads to vegetation mortality. And so this is a complex feedback of these different processes and especially varying signals that cause this wildfire problem. Wow. So in part, you're saying that um, when pre-planned burns don't happen, it leads to a buildup of these dry, flammable br- brushes and, you know, branches and whatnot? Yeah, so in, it actually is a, a bigger problem in the Sierras because these are also uh, the fire suppression and ho- how land management used to happen. So if you were doing uh, timber production from this land, so that also leads to some particular kind of forest management and leads to, like, as they call it, even-aged plantations. And that creates differences in how the uh, natural history of the landscape changes so uh, and that uh, so when you have this massive accumulation of like uh, fuel materials usually dead fuel materials that just keep accumulating on the forest floor it uh, increases the chances of burning when whenever there is an ignition and in this this part of the uh, this part of California often uh, lightnings are actually a huge cause of fire there are also human caused fires but uh, when there is a lightning you can imagine that these things will burn but if you can do your uh, f- like fuel management well beforehand uh, the published literature tells us that uh, you might have a better chance in managing those fires better right and you mentioned that droughts and other conditions were a large part of causing fires Would you say that California is more prone to wildfires because of its environment than other states? Yeah, so one thing is, I mean, we have to remember that the fire essentially has three drivers. 
some people are saying okay four drivers so they are fuel weather and topography and some of ex some experts in the field they're in favor of including people <laughs> as, as one more component so uh, and differences obviously in fuel types are obviously as you can see northern california or the uh, central california southern california they have different types of fuel types weathers are different if you have these extreme uh, santa ana type events this cre create local uh, like high likelihood of fires happening or fires once the fire starts they can uh, become like they can continue very easily and also we have to think about california is a highly mountainous state so there are complex topography in different parts of the state which also causes like uncertainties in how uh, fire will propagate so it complicates the physics let's say what are the long-term events that these frequent fires will have on California's geography? Huh, that's a great question. So, uh, well, uh, obviously there are some short-term effects and so the loss of property, obviously. And so there are some ecological consequences to it, but so we also should remember that fires are not necessarily always bad. So there is also a term called the good fire. <laughs> So and that's being uh, more used more and more in the community. So uh, the idea is that uh, if the fires are lower intensity and they are allowed to burn, uh, they can actually rejuvenate the landscape. But it should we should be careful where this is happening. So this scenario is probably uh, more likely to happen in the Sierras. For example, in in the Southern California shrublands, uh, having more fire can lead to more invasive species, uh, like invading the landscape, and that can make the fire problem even worse going forward. And then there is the question of what is the impact because of this energy release and everything that's associated with the fire on the long-term ecological uh, future of the landscape. So because eco certain landscapes sort of use fire to uh, to define their future trajectory. Uh, now, as we are seeing, because of the people problem and other things, we are seeing more and more massive fires. So how this is going to change the future of the landscape, that is actually is pretty complicated now to predict. Like it can severely damage the soil, it can severely damage like what sort of future uh, members of the vegetation would inhabit that landscape. So, so there are some signatures that from initial studies that tell us like, more fires in certain areas can lead to more invasives and that can actually go to a vicious cycle and make the problem even worse going down the future. Right. <laughs> uh, wow. Would you say that the Sierra Mountains are the region where, um, the region most affected by the fires in California? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, uh, this is, uh, uh, my point is that this region has does see a different regime of fire. But the Southern California, I mean, uh, if you remember last few mega fires, as they call it, like, you know, the Thomas fire or the uh, the Woolsey fire, then you had the Camp fire. So they're all over the place. So the mega fires can happen in Northern California, Central California, Southern California. It's just we have to uh, think, be careful about like what are causing them, what are the major drivers. But um, they can actually happen anywhere. It depends on the fuel, weather, topography, and the ignitions. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> uh, as I understand, you lead a research team uh, across multiple UCs and the um, Los Alamos Laboratory um, that was allocated allocated six three point six million dollars to help fight and manage wildfires. Uh, what 
members of this team do you work with? Yeah, so uh, we are actually very uh, fortunate to receive this grant, and obviously thanks to the UC system, the UC Office of the Presidents, for funding this project. And this is a project in collaboration with uh, UC Berkeley, UC Riverside, and the UC Agricultural and Natural Resources, the UC ANR, along with the Los Alamos National Laboratory, which is a Department of Energy National Lab, but it also managed partly managed by the University of California. And we will, apart from these uh, collaborators, we'll also engage with some stakeholders, uh, so with the U.S. Forest Service and CAL FIRE eventually as well. What kind of approaches will the team take to trying to solve this problem? Yeah, so um, so first of all, I should be very careful in saying that we are not claiming to solve the wildfire problem, because uh, and we should not be oversimplifying it. I should be careful from not doing that. And so, but so our particular project is aimed at uh, developing more like smart architectures and practices for California for prescribed fires in California. So one angle is to identify where prescribed fires should happen, because as I pointed out before, not all the regions in California should have prescribed fires. So we should be pretty careful where to do that. And the second part of the project is once we identify that this particular region can actually benefit from a prescribed fire, um, like what can we do to make it more, um, like what can we do to facilitate that practice better? because this is aligned with the uh, general goal of the state of California. They want to increase the scope and scales of prescribed fire as a preventive strategy to, to make our mega fires more manageable. So we want to develop some tools using some simulations that can tell us how a fire will propagate once we start the burning, a controlled burning and what are the air quality impacts because of that burn, how to do ignitions better, and also uh, what are the signals to look for like when a prescribed fire like becomes rogue <laughs> and becomes an actual wildfire and that has happened a lot it has happened in new mexico it has happened in california in uh, among in other places so that's also a very important problem in uh, like sort of as you call it anomaly detection like as we are tr controlling a fire in a particular landscape to understand at what stage is it trying to behave in a rogue way. Maybe there's a gust of wind and you know it can go awry very fast. So we're, we want to understand those signals and try to also make a platform that would help the fire managers and barn managers to conduct these operations better. I know a lot of people are surprised when they hear that controlled burns are actually a way to prevent wildfires. What are the, some of the key differences between a wildfire that was not planned and not controlled and one that has been purposely set? Uh, so, uh, and again, we have to be careful about uh, the sentence when you say that, uh, so it, we should not take it as a silver bullet. So we have to recognize the fact that this is uh, a, a tool that is only applicable in certain areas and in certain areas it can actually make the problem even worse. Like for example, if you do, if we introduce more fire in the Southern California shrublands, it can actually make it detrimental even, uh, because it can introduce more invasives and uh, it has, it might have other unintended consequences. So identifying uh, the like the optimal location for the applic application of this tool is actually super important. 
and uh, then then comes the second part like if that happens <laughs> and uh, what are the signals or what are the um, indicators that you know that a prescribed fire can become a wildfire so oftentimes it happens that you know uh, so fires launch fires have their own weathers as they call it and then uh, so it can launch particles burning particles and embers and firebrands up in the atmosphere and then those can travel with the wind and then they can create additional fires uh, like uh, in front of the actual location of the fire front so uh, this is one way where a very gusty wind can you know uh, make a rogue fire wildfire out of a prescribed fire that actually happened in uh, actually in Los Alamos in 2011 where the uh, where a prescribed fire uh, managed burn in a way so it became rogue and it burned down a huge amount of area interesting <laughs> and what is the um expected timeline for this research project and how long do you expect um, to be to be working on this? Uh, so this uh, project is initially f uh, it's funded for three years, and um, so the idea is it will uh, give us the initial resources to develop more expertise within the UC system to tackle this topic, and also it's very important part of the project is to train the next generation of students and postdocs and researchers uh, you know to uh, so who will become the next generation of professionals and scientists in the wildland fire science and prescribed fire community so uh, that's the long-term goal of the project apart from the short-term goal of you know creating sort of a test bed and a, a tool set that we can pr uh, you know that we can exchange with our counterparts in the forest service or in the La Bureau of Land Management and CAL FIRE so that they can do their prescribed fire operations better. You mentioned um, to me before that this was the, the grant was recently awarded and that this is the project officially kicking off yeah. in um, just these last, you know, recent... This week, weeks. actually. Yeah, <laughs> this week. Um, what are some of your plans for when work actually begins on the project? Yeah, so um, the some I mean we we want to obviously we want to get together as a team because this is a very interdisciplinary team, and which is uh, uh, which is quite interesting and fun to work on. <laughs> so, uh, for example, we have uh, at, so I myself my training is as a fluid mechanist, and uh, so and I also have done atmospheric science. So and there are people who will be doing some atmospheric chemistry. There are people who are computer scientists. There are people who do uh, computational modeling of or analysis of visions and imagery. There are people who are uh, trained as ecologists, uh, forest managers. So uh, so we have this very diverse group of people. And so, so since this problem, the nature of this problem is so interdisciplinary, it's we need to tackle the problem from many different perspectives. So I think that's the, uh, like to me, that's a beautiful angle of the project that I'm super interested to pursue. And so in terms of planning, we obviously would also have some plans to do some actual prescribed burns in the uh, forests managed by the UC system. Uh, so in the Berkeley forests actually so the idea is that we'll also collect some data sets we will during the managed burns and partly to understand how a prescribed fire is behaving but also to and to calibrate the 
tools and the sensors that we will be using to develop this whole platform, but also to understand uh, the physics of it. Like, I mean, the, the pr actual prediction of how a fire propagates in a landscape is pretty complicated, given how many factors are at play at the same time together. So uh, like this sort of controlled experiments also gives us the opportunity to like collect data from in, in situ, from within the fire, and, and it also varied in space and time. So we can train our mo physics-based models better and also come up with better statistical models, which are fast running. I love seeing this interdisciplinary work um, <laughs> happening. I think it's so, so interesting. Um, what challenges do you foresee once you begin to work? You mentioned how complicated it is to predict all the different factors mm -hmm. during a wildfire. Uh, yeah, so um, so there are different things. So one, uh, this is a general observation from any interdisciplinary project is how do we make the project bigger than the sum of its parts? Because, because it's also interdisciplinary, um, if we do not work together, it might happen that, you know, individual groups work in their own silos and we end up with a collection of papers that comes from uh, in these individual different research topics. But the challenge, the biggest challenge is uh, to bring these people together and so how do we bring together the, the computer science folks with the ecological side folks and, you know, and make a tell the one single story together. So I think that's the actual the most interesting part of the project, but also it's challenging. But I think we are on track and uh, all the team members are, uh, you know, they really appreciate this thing. So I think we are on a, on a right track. Right. And how does the engineering aspect come into play when making these predictions? Uh, so engineering comes into play where, uh, so as I mentioned, I, I study fluid mechanics. So my lab is called the Boundary Layers and Turbulence <laughs> Lab in the Department of Civil Engineering. So it means that I study the movement of fluids like, you know, air or water in, uh, in different types of uh, landscapes, like the through vegetation, through land, through the water, through atmosphere. So that means that we can use the governing equations of fluid flow uh, to understand the movement of, a, let's say, a, for a wildfire. So I can simulate the different interactions does a fire have with the surrounding atmosphere and the vegetation and all of it. So uh, I can write equations that sort of govern those exchange processes and then I can use a supercomputer essentially to solve those uh, governing equations. So this is a pretty computationally expensive process. It takes time and mathematically it's also complicated but the aim is to use those uh, this mathematical tool set and the computational tool set to describe the problem that is of ecological and environmental interest. So this is how we combine it. <laughs> Wow. And would that computer program be modeling a specific environment or a theoretical wildfire? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. So, uh, I mean, it can do both. So oftentimes what we do is uh, we are interested to learn a particular aspect of the physics. So let's say we are trying, we want to understand what happened during an actual fire. But to, before going to that exercise, we might simu simulate a very theoretical 
but theoretical domain, for example, which is simpler, but it tells us more about the physics and helps us identify one piece of the puzzle at a time before we delve into the actual problem. So, uh, so we can upscale and downscale based on the problem that we are studying, but we have the capacity to do both. Wow. Uh, how does the program take into account factors like um, live animals and weather conditions? So uh, the weather conditions are pretty easy to uh, take into account. For example, you know, uh, so we have wind speed and we have relative humidity and, you know, temperature, the moisture inside the fuels, the trees, vegetation. So these are factors that can be direct inputs to the models. But then uh, there are s certain other things. So for uh, during wildfires, the uh, we have to think about conservation approaches as well. So some like, for example, you know, if you create fuel breaks inside the forestry, uh, how does it mean for animals? Uh, it sort of it creates a disruption for uh, to the continuity of their trajectories. Right. So we have to think about uh, how does managing for wildfire means uh, or how does it oppose the management aspects of conservation so uh, and certain things like that can be built into as uh, parameterizations and uh, so that means for the equations that we solve we can provide certain boundary conditions and initial conditions to uh, to sort of provide a constraint for these other things right uh, in terms of how this research will be applied uh, do you think it will be more in the realm of advising forest control, um, forest rangers, what conditions are most beneficial on when and where they should do these prescribed burns? Yeah, pretty much. So we want to engage uh, mostly with the stakeholders. So that means the uh, barn managers that work for several agencies. Also the local fire agencies are uh, very important uh, players in this domain. So we want to engage with them, but then we also hope to engage the, uh, you know, the general prob public uh, through the UC uh, Agricultural and Natural Resources, whose uh, main role is to provide extension to the public. So, uh, so education of the public and to the students is also super important. Because these topics are, you know, complicated and there are often multiple things at play together. So um, it's very important to come up with the right messaging. And uh, so that can hopefully clarify, uh, you know, some, the, some of the confusions that people might have. For example, you know, people do see smoke when there is a prescribed fire. But uh, so it's a tricky problem because how do you then convince a community to allow a prescribed fire to happen in their area uh, and then you have to communicate to them the bigger risk of if you do not do that it might, there might be a massive wildfire so how do how do we communicate those risks and the benefits in the short term and the long term so the UC ANR has specialists in this direction and will work together to um, solve these things right those are definitely very important issues to solve as far as communication goes. Well, how much of an impact would you hope or foresee as a result of these techniques? Um, so, uh, as, as I said, uh, the state of California does want to increase the scope and the scale of prescribed fires. 
but uh, so hopefully we want to be able to uh, you know, lower some of these barriers by providing a better technological platform that pulls together information from physics, from engineering, from computer science, statistics, ecology, all of it together so that the, our land managers and our fire managers uh, do have a better tool when they're trying to conduct these operations. So, um, but obviously the bigger, the long-term picture is, you know, I didn't under, uh, educating the public and training a uh, next generation of uh, professionals in the fire and forestry and engineering community. So one of our goal is definitely uh, create this, or train this new generation of uh, engineers who would have some knowledge in ecology and, you know, uh, the aspect of wildfires in a landscape. So that's a pretty unique knowledge domain, and so I see this as a long-term investment in the uh, future, so yeah. Definitely. Are there any changes that you would suggest to state and national policies when it comes to responding to wildfires? Um, so I think the state of California in general and our uh, government agencies are doing a great job in uh, and they're in the definitely in the right direction in both prevention and you know responding to wildfires. So um, we there are there is a thing which we call the five P's, right? So, so the five P approach. So it means people. It's a people problem. There are so many people living in the uh, wildfire prone areas. It might provide ignitions. So people prevention of ignition planning. Uh, planning better in the wild and urban interface, then uh, protection of homes and the prediction of extreme wind events. So those are the five approaches I would suggest. How can the everyday listener contribute to preventing wildfires? I think uh, understanding those individual aspects, like what drives them and what we can do individually to harden our structures. For example, the uh, the uh, maintenance code in California suggests maintaining a 30 meter radius outside our uh, structural property and free from any flammable vegetation or materials. So this is a, a confirmation to that code that can, you know, uh, that can make a huge difference. So there are certain rules like this, and just to better understand what causes them, and also uh, adhering to the authorities when they. Uh, suggest something. I think those are important. But I think generally understanding the the science of it and what causes them, uh, I think have this scientific understanding will help the people understand these things better. Definitely. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. I learned a lot, and I think our listeners did too. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Great to be here. Um, so, listeners, I am Sibel Kaler. That was Dr. Tirtha Banerjee on um, the UC effort, uh, research effort to prevent wild wildfires that's recently been funded. Um, and this has been Office Hours on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Um, listeners, I hope that you have a great day. Stay safe and be kind to each other out there. This is Office Hours signing off. Heaven so close, I almost can grab it and head on out of this town. If I had a dime for every time that I thought of.